Let's pray together. Father, so much of what we've heard this morning through song, through the scripture, is that you want us to respond to your truth in faith. You want us to have expectation that you are going to come and accomplish your will. And we want to thank you that in special times you choose to accomplish your will in and through our lives. We want to pray that you would speak to us through your word. We want to ask that you would keep us from any distractions that would cause us to have our attention go in other directions. We want to thank you for this place that we can meet in peace. And we do want to ask again on behalf of the nation of Israel and the few believers in the Gaza Strip and the believers in Lebanon and a few that remain in Syria, we want to pray for your protection over the believers. We want to pray that you would bring uh, the conflict to an end, even though we know that uh, according to man's understanding, things are going to continue and there will be more and more destruction. But as things crumble, Lord, we pray that people would look up, that they would understand that Jesus is the Messiah, that they would see, whether believer or unbeliever, that you are the only path to salvation, and that they would be those not without hope, but that they would find that you are the hope of the nations. We want to thank you for your truth. We want to thank you for speaking to us through your Holy Spirit. Help us by your Holy Spirit, not only to receive your truth, but to live by it. We commit ourselves to you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love uh, the concept of being persistent in faith. Um, I've mentioned before that my mom was sick for 19 years. And you know, uh, she was not a negative person. And uh, sometimes uh, we would need to carry her from one room of the house to the other. And she always found something to um, be positive about. And some of you know that I started scuba diving when I was uh, turning 16. I went on a trip and I came back with pictures, showed them to my mom. I went on another trip, came back, showed pictures to my mom. And then one time I thought, maybe this is hard for her because I'm going and seeing all these beautiful things, uh, hearing the ocean, and she's you know, stuck in her bedroom, laying on the bed. And I said, mom, is it hard for you that I go and see these beautiful things and you're here stuck on your bed? And she goes, honey, I'm experiencing them through you. And I thought, what a wonderful mom, you know, that she's not focusing upon her limitations, but that she's able to experience something through her children. And for sure, uh, though she didn't express faith when I was growing up, my faith uh, helped her to overcome. And before she died, she did have a recommitment of her life to the Lord. I want to encourage you, be persistent in your faith. It really makes a difference in your own life, but also in the lives of your family members and those around you. Uh, today, it's a really unique situation as we turn to the Gospel of Mark, and we're beginning in chapter 7. Uh, we're continuing. Uh, last week, we saw that there was a conflict, and the religious leaders came all the way from Jerusalem to the Galilee area, about 80 miles, they came to find fault. And then Jesus said, it's not just about outward religious traditions, it's about the heart. 
And Jesus challenged them and he challenged his own disciples. And now, um, remember, uh, prior to that, Jesus was traveling. He was doing miracles. They distributed the bread, the fish. Uh, He fed over 5,000 men plus the women and children. And it says in that time frame that the disciples had been so busy that oftentimes they didn't even have time to eat. And then uh, we see a little bit of a transition uh, as we enter into verse 24 of Mark's gospel, chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, verse 24, it says, From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Okay, Uh, Modern day country, what's the name of the country? It's Lebanon. Okay, so actually you might start to see in the news the hills of Lebanon and it's it's the mountain range between kind of the northwest section of Israel and the southern part of Lebanon. It's a mountain range. So I did the the exploration about like what path they would travel, how far it is. It's roughly 50 miles to get from Capernaum up to the area of Tyre and Sidon. Um, we're told earlier in Mark's gospel that people had come, most likely Jewish people had come from that region, as well as from Jerusalem and Judea, to see Jesus, to um, receive from his teaching, and even to be healed. Now, uh, he travels about 50 miles. So how can we correlate this? Uh, If you think about going from here past Woodland Park, up to Divide, and even a little bit past, that's about 50 miles. Or if you're on the north side of town and you picture where the Air Force Academy is to get to Littleton, just south of Denver, that's 50 miles. If you put in Google Maps, like how long it would take to walk from the Air Force Academy up to Littleton, guess how long? 18 hours, okay? So, and that's, you know, probably on a well-established path. So most likely, uh, at least two days walking. Um, Now, it seems that there's some indicators that maybe Jesus invited them to go to have a place of rest. Why? Because that area, uh, there were Jewish people living there, but it was primarily Gentiles, And um, it says here in verse 24, and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. I was kind of thinking, what did he say to his disciples, right, to get them excited about a two-day walk, you know, 50 miles? And I thought, well, you know, uh, James and John, obviously they were fishermen. They left their father with the nets. Um, uh, It probably was... uh, a negative influence on the family business, right? Peter and Andrew, also fishermen, maybe he said, hey, uh, those dried fish that your family has, let's go and sell them uh, where there's a market there in that area. Maybe the other guys uh, stress from their ministry, hey, let's go up to the Mediterranean Sea, uh, take a look at the beauty, you know, just have a time of rest. We're not told specifically, we are told in Matthew's gospel that the disciples were with him. And they enter into the house. Uh, Maybe it was uh, a connection of family. Maybe it was someone that had come and received from Jesus and said, hey, if you're ever in my town, come. But they enter into a house. And then we see a woman come with them. But Matthew's gospel in chapter 15 
gives a few more details, and I'll just uh, briefly read them. It says, um, he departed, went to the region, and then in verse 22 of Matthew chapter 15, Behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried to him, saying, Have mercy upon me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. So her first words to the Lord is, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. So son of David is the title of the Messiah, because David was promised to have the Messiah come through his descendants. And um, the disciples, how did they respond It says, Jesus didn't answer. His disciples came and urged him, urged Jesus, send her away, for she cries out after us. He answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. Okay, now back in Mark's gospel, we see, right, that he's at the house Uh, She comes, um, verse 25, for a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him and she came and fell at his feet. What does that tell you about her? Right. She's humble. She's desperate. um, And also, you could probably say she's bold. Right. Uh, She's not Jewish and she's coming uh, to the house. Uh, We're going to see a little bit of attention and you've seen it in other places of the scripture, the Jewish tradition was that Jewish people did not go into the house of Gentiles because um, the Gentiles were considered to be unclean. They ate unclean food. So that was the existing tradition at the time of Jesus. But she comes, having known about Jesus, her daughter has an unclean spirit, that means a demonic spirit. She came and fell at his feet. Can you picture that? It's a persistence, right? My faith has brought me here. Now I'm going to do whatever I need to have you bring healing to my daughter. It says the woman was a Greek. Um, Some translations say Gentile. It's basically the same in the Jewish mind. A Syrophoenician by birth. So that means that she was born in that area. Phoenicia is actually um, a narrow strip, and it also is connected in the scripture to the area of Canaan. Um, And some uh, scriptures and some passages call her a Canaanite. Um, It's interesting if you think about all of the things against her in that time, right? First of all, she's a woman. Uh, Women did not have the same uh, role in society as they do now. Uh, Women had a court in the area of the temple, but they couldn't serve inside of the temple. Uh, So there's a restriction that way. Uh, She's a Gentile, meaning a Greek Gentile. Uh, That means that there's also somewhat of a distance because the Jewish religious leaders in that time uh, had a very low perspective and a very low expectation um, in regards to the Gentiles. Also, a Canaanite, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 9 and uh, Noah coming out of the ark with his sons, uh, Canaan gets cursed. 
And throughout the history of Israel and the Canaanites, there's always this tension. So a woman, a Gentile, and a Canaanite. And uh, it seems like the disciples just don't have any patience. Have you ever been in that situation where you're like, that person is always requesting something, you know, or that person is always uh, annoying me because they're uh, talking about their challenges, talking about their problems. The disciples actually said, send her away. And that's been their attitude more than one time in the ministry of Jesus. Send them away. It says, uh, she came asking him, not for herself, but to cast out the demon out of her daughter. Verse 27. But Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Okay. In the context, who are the children? The Jewish people, right? Uh, the people living in Israel. And in Matthew's gospel in chapter 15, Jesus has this phrase that he says, um, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So how do we understand that? Well, I believe we understand it in this way. It's an issue of order. Why? Because God allowed the Jewish people to receive his truth through the prophets. The prophets wrote down the truth. Uh, it's copied by the scribes through the years, and they have an expectation of the coming Messiah. But then um, we understand from the scripture, it's an, it's an issue of order. It's not an issue of exclusivity, meaning salvation is not exclusive to the Jewish people. And you might remember a famous uh, verse in Romans chapter 1 that talks about the gospel, and it brings the context Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone. Can you say amen to that? Amen. The power of God to salvation for everyone. Who believes, right? That's our point. That's our connection. We have to believe. And then this aspect of order for the Jew first and also for the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And you have to remember, right, God in different times had different plans. He brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. They wander, they start to come in, and we see that it's not exclusive, right? Because Rahab, who is a woman of ill report, uh, she has faith in what happens. She gets into the family of God and becomes... Uh, basically like a grandparent um, in the lineage of David. So it's not exclusivity, it's a matter of order. Uh, this is my understanding. So the first focus is bringing the message of salvation to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But obviously, Jesus is willing to meet the needs. Um, I believe that this phrase, um, that it's not good to take what is first to the children and give it immediately to the little puppies, that's kind of the word in the Greek, is the little dogs, the little puppies, is actually to get her to have a further confession of her faith. Because what is her response? She didn't turn around, you know, kind of defeated, and go home. No, 
she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs, you know, picture little puppies, even the little dogs eat under the table from the children's crumbs. And um, I kind of thought of this interesting phrase, the crumbs of compassion, right? She's saying, you're compassionate. Even a small little amount of compassion is all that I'm asking for. You know, could you just give me a crumb of compassion? And sometimes uh, we just need to hold on to the fact that God is compassionate. And as we trust in him, uh, he will bring his answer in his time. What was Jesus' response? Verse 29, he said to her, For this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. So this could be the connection of Jesus wanting to honor traditions. He didn't go to the house, but he said the word and it was uh, accomplished. But it also reminds us of his power. And it says, when she had had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. Can you imagine her happiness, uh, her relief? Um, I don't know if you've ever been in the area of a person who is mentally unstable or a person who is heavily intoxicated or under the influence of drugs. It is really hard to know what to do. And um, when a person is mentally unstable because of demonic activity, it's also a little bit intimidating to see that there is a force of evil at work in that person's life. But let's remember, Jesus simply spoke the word and the, the situation was solved. Now, in regards to persistence, I like a passage in the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 18. I'll read a few verses. It talks about uh, Jesus sharing a parable, so it's an illustration of how people ought to pray always and not to lose heart. And like in a time where you see wars developing in nations, right, we need to remember that phrase, pray always and do what? Don't lose heart, right? Our immediate response when something isn't going our way or when other people are suffering and we see their sufferings is that we lose heart. But Jesus says, pray always and don't lose heart. And he uses an example. There was a, in a city a judge who did not fear God or re regard man. So he's self-focused. He's not doing what he's doing before God. And there was a widow, right? One of the lowest people in society. She came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. He wouldn't. But afterwards, he said within himself, though I do not regard God or man, yet because of this widow and her continuing troubling me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. So this is an earthly example, right? The judge isn't supposed to represent God in like exact nature. The concept is that the woman is persistent in her request. So then Jesus says, um, Shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears with them long? Yes, I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Right? So there's a contrast now. The earthly judge, he's not godly. He's not really concerned about the woman's need. He just doesn't want to be irritated by her. But Jesus says, 
even if it seems like your answer is not coming and that God is bearing with you a long time as you're asking, remember from his perspective, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? So let me ask you a question. In your personal life, when Jesus comes, either by calling you to heaven through death or coming to establish his kingdom on the earth and bringing us up to heaven in the rapture, will he find faith in your own life? Do you have persistence? If you believe this is God's will, it's according to his character, you might not see the time of it, but you need to hold on. Uh, Many times, young believers will say, is it okay to pray about the same thing more than one time? And the answer of Scripture is, of course, yes, it is. And we see this woman um, kind of lower level in society, but she asks again, she asks again, and she says, yeah, but even the little puppies, right, they get a crumb of compassion. Can I have a crumb of compassion? And Jesus says, yes, you can. And so let's hold on in persistence and in faith. Uh, Let's remember, Jesus uses that parable not to say some uh, aspect about the judge or the nature of God that he's reluctant to answer, but rather to say you need to be persistent and God will avenge speedily. The difference is, is that the way God sees time and the way we see it are different. So you've probably heard many times Uh, There's three basic answers of prayer. Yes, right, and then the answer comes immediately. That's the one that we love. Uh, The other one is no, because we're asking maybe according to our will. And what's the third one? It's wait. It's wait. It's not that God is deciding. It's just that it's not his time. So we have to wait. And this is um, what we see in that parable in Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. Now, continuing on. Uh, We have some wonderful verses back from Mark chapter 7. And I also want to say, as we think about this kind of a transition, it says, verse 31, again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, I thought about it. Uh, Obviously, the scripture doesn't tell us every detail. But consider this. Did Jesus and the disciples just walk 50 miles one way to help one woman. Very possible, right? And was she a woman that the disciples were even trying to push away because she's not our category of people in society? Uh, For sure that was the case. But it seems like they walked probably at least two days to get there and then two days to come back. Uh, I'm not sure if they got to have a rest at the seaside or not, but uh, that woman was touched by the Lord. Verse 31, again departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis. Decapolis means ten cities, right? We call it a metropolis. That's like a a big city. Um, Decapolis means ten cities, and those cities were primarily... um, cities that were controlled by Romans. Uh, The majority of the population was Gentile, not Jewish. So he goes through that region to the Sea of Galilee. Verse 32. When they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, they begged him to put his hand on him. 
So here's another person in need, a person that is not able to hear and not able to speak well. Verse 33, he took him aside from the multitude, put his fingers in his ear and spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed, Jesus sighed, and said to him, Ephrathra, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were open, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should not tell anyone. But the more he commanded them, the more widely he proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. So we see something uh, in this passage. Uh, it says that he takes the man away from the multitude. Um, he opens his ears and he allows him to speak. Um, what's happening is that as Jesus does more and more miracles that are an indication that he is the Messiah, there's this concept that he even says, um, don't. He tells him not to uh, tell anyone in verse 36, but it says the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. So basically, Jesus knew the purpose of his mission, and he didn't want people to try to force him to become the Messiah, just to overthrow the Romans uh, using force. He knew that part of his role was to suffer for them. I thought it almost sounds like reverse psychology, doesn't it? <laughs> that it says, hey, he commanded them, tell no one, but the more widely uh, they ended up speaking. So I, I thought maybe I should say, don't go out and make disciples of anybody, right? <laughs> and then you say, no, we need to. And that's exactly right. You do need to. But um, he says, be opened and immediately his ears were open and the impediment of his tongue was loosed and he spoke plainly. I love this phrase from verse 37. They were astonished beyond measure, saying he has done all things well. Can you say that? He has done all things well, right? And in the life of a believer, the longer you walk with Jesus, the more you understand he has done all things well. Uh, we had a friend that... Um, served with us in another city in Ukraine during the same time. Then she went with a ministry to Africa, but they went into the jungles. And there's a type of um, an ailment that's created by an insect that causes a blindness. It's called river blindness. And uh, they shared with that person, I think they had a translator, and they literally saw like scales fall off of the person's eyes. And I thought, wow, you know, God is still at work. He's still doing miracles. Um, he does all things well. And um, the question is, do we expect it? Do we desire, right, when someone has something? Well, you know, this is that condition from birth. And we've already prayed. Well, does that mean that we stop praying? No. Do we stop expecting no. And Jesus, you know, he had compassion upon that person, a person who had probably been in that condition for a long, long time. They brought him to Jesus. And Jesus 
put his hand upon him. That's the real solution, isn't it? Uh, Lord, we just come to you. We ask that you would put your hand on this situation, upon this person. You can touch and heal. Uh, We're going to see today and in a future passage this connection to spitting or saliva. Uh, There was a Jewish teaching that there was some sort of healing in that. And even in our culture, right? When I was growing up, it's like, oh, that's not a very big cut. Just let the dog lick it. (laughs) Right? And I thought... That's probably not very healthy, but in our culture, there was some understanding, right, that the saliva could maybe help in a wound. And so he does something, but then he does it in a, an amazing way, putting his fingers in his ears and um, touching his tongue. It's basically a visualization of what is happening. Um, there are a lot of things that we don't understand 100%, Right? But that doesn't mean that we're not supposed to trust God to do it for us and to do it for others. Then it says they were astonished beyond measure. Um, If you're not like excited in your spiritual walk with the Lord, maybe you need to put yourself in an environment where you're stretched. You know, maybe instead of driving past that person that looks like they're hopeless or walking past them in the supermarket, maybe you're just supposed to say, hey, Lord, Should I share with that person, right? And be like Isaiah, that he said, here am I, send me. Um, I am always amazed that with our weaknesses, God can work through us for his strength. Um, You know, that crumb of compassion, maybe you could say, Lord, could you just give me a crumb of compassion to share with someone else? Um, to remember that God is able to do it. And this also came to my mind, can we expect the unexpected, right? Were his disciples expecting Jesus to heal that woman and uh, the woman's daughter, rather? They weren't. They were wanting him to send her away so that she didn't trouble them. Uh, In other places, uh, we hear that same phrase, don't trouble the teacher. Do you remember where that phrase was used? It was in the story of Jairus. And Jesus is walking through the crowd. The woman that wasn't connected to the first part of the story, she reaches through and she grabs the edge of his garment. As there's a pause in Jesus' motion towards Jairus' house, what happens? The people from his house come and says, don't trouble the teacher. Why? Your daughter has died. But... Jesus said, have faith. That was his message to Jairus. Have faith. Can we expect the unexpected? Um, One of the people that I learned from in my early days in Southern California was a pastor named Mike McIntosh. He actually was alive in the time of the hippies. He uh, had someone put poison in the LSD just to see what would happen. And for a time of about 17 months, he basically lost his mind. Not only did they put poison in the LSD, and then he started having his mind do crazy things, but they also took a gun and they shot it next to his head. And he literally thought, this is why he was in the process of going crazy, he literally thought that his head had received the gunshot and that he was like 
dead but still walking. And for this period of time, he's, uh, you know, going to a counselor, uh, going to a psychologist. Um, he's completely troubled. Uh, he said that he had gone insane. Do you know what happened? He came in contact with believers in Jesus. They prayed for him. And now his uh, church, he's since retired, but his church in San Diego is one of the largest churches. He was doing ministry outreach um, into Mexico and having like what we would call crusades. Uh, he was in uh, New York as a chaplain during 9-11 and seeing God um, bring hope to the hopeless. So way back then, right, for a period of 17 months, people are probably starting to give up hope, right? But we can expect the unexpected. We can hold on to faith. We can remember that Jesus is able to do what we cannot do. And this phrase came to my mind. Are you a guardian of Jesus or are you a bridge to Jesus? Okay. The guardian of Jesus says, hey, he's too busy. Don't bring your problem. Right. Or you've had that problem for a long time. Just kind of stay away. If God didn't answer the first time, you know, I'm a guardian. All right. Are you a guardian of Jesus? Don't trouble the teacher. Or are you a bridge to Jesus? Can we be more of a bridge and less of a guardian? Can we expect? Can we uh, say even just a crumb of compassion is enough? And we're going to see in the future weeks, Jesus even uses the example of a mustard seed, right? Faith as a mustard seed. What can it do? It can move a mountain. Let's look to the Lord. And if for some reason your expectation has been low, uh, use this passage of Scripture to say he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Father, we thank you. Nothing is impossible to you. And we want to thank you that you can do more, more abundantly than what we ask or think. And for some of us, if we're in the period of waiting for the answer, help us not to give up faith, but to be persistent, to move forward to know that you want to give compassion. And we want to thank you, Lord, for all the times that you have answered prayer. We believe that as we align ourselves with your will, as we hold on to your nature, that we're going to see you answer again. And we want to give you glory. We want to thank you. We want to recommit ourselves to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have the strength, we'll stand and finish in song.